Hashem Hashem Naasev and Atzliach, Shiur Torah, Bochim Abayim. We are uh, back on our weekly Shiur, coming to a close, Baruch Hashem, with a series, over 40 lectures about Jewish intimacy that uh, have certainly transformed uh, many lives, and Bezot Hashem will transform countless more lives, uh, especially the uh, lecture that we're going to speak about tonight that uh, has something that uh, we've simply never offered before, a guarantee. A guarantee, unlike any other guarantee that you've ever heard in your life. Uh, and uh, this is not a guarantee for me personally, this is guarantee from the Torah itself. It's a ancient Kabbalistic secret that uh, you know many people simply don't know exists. Uh, and tonight, Be'ezrat Hashem, the Ramban is going to disclose it to us, Bezal Hashem. Tonight's you is going to be for the Refua Shlema and Atzlacha Rabah for uh, Rabbi Ephraim ben Shulamit, uh, Rabbanit Sara bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana bat Sara, Avi Mori David ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all of the righteous Noahides, especially those that have been learning this series with us, lecture after lecture, uh, week after week, month after month, and have uh, been trying to do their best to apply all of this to their lives, or at least as much of it as they possibly can. Uh, because those of you that are uh, simply not taking these matters to heart are missing out on the ultimate blessings of Kedusha. Uh, and this is some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, of course, from the Holy Torah sources, some new sources that uh, the Ramban and Moreno Verabenu Arab Ephraim have taught us, and Be'ezrat uh, Hashem will delve into them one after another to uncover and unfold the most extraordinary secret that you could ever imagine, which is the secret to being guaranteed, guaranteed to have a righteous son. Now, I don't know how many of you are looking to get married or already married, but it doesn't matter who you are, whether you've already had kids or you want to have kids, everyone wants a righteous son. And as the conversation that I had Earlier today, and unfortunately, one of many conversations like it that I've had over the years with people, people that are crying out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, doing everything that uh, they know of, they've heard of, uh, that some that make sense, some that don't make sense, but they're literally so desperate that they're willing to do anything just to have a kid. Just to have a kid, people literally are willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, just to have a kid. Just to have a kid. Just one kid. Give me one kid. But when they go and they try all of these things, uh, whether it's the uh, medical treatments or even the spiritual aspects of it, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. And I've had uh, a few times where people have told me they've literally spent a fortune, enough to buy a house or two, uh, just to have a child, and it simply failed. It just did not work. Well, tonight, for those of you with an open mind and open hearts and souls that are receptive to the holy words of the Torah, you're going to get a guarantee. Now, this guarantee is not simple. 
this guarantee is not oh you uh you drink this water and it's all gonna work out you're gonna have a whole fleet of kids no it doesn't work that way this guarantee doesn't come overnight meaning that it's not like you're just gonna make uh, one little prayer and uh, the next day the little kid shows up with uh with a bird like they did in the old cartoons many years ago when cartoons was still something that uh, you could actually show your kids before they destroyed even that world but this guarantee is certainly possible this guarantee is certainly practical this guarantee is certainly something that every single person that has the merit to watch this lecture or listen to it at some point today or in the future every one of you can do it the question is how desperate are you or better said how much do you really want a kid of course many people have kids but some of them have even told me they regret having kids because those kids were wicked those kids abandoned them those kids betrayed them those kids betrayed HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and in fact one of the things that the sages teach us that uh, is really one of the scariest things that uh, you could ever uh, hear about and i heard this directly from Rav Neugreshel, one of the great minds of our generation and an extraordinary mezakeh rabim really one of the founders of the tshuva movement over the last five decades and he says that a kadosh baruch Hu judges the world measure for measure and he is an expert in the teachings of the torah especially the ma'aral he says unfortunately people there are more students that the golem has than the maral has because most people are more like the golem that uh, just want to be robotic and unfortunately empty inside and they're more fascinated by the story of the golem whether true or not true irrelevant than they are fascinated by the holy words of the maral miprag who is said to have created the golem the concept of a golem is certainly true we see it in the Gemara in other places but the point being is Rav Noigel says that when a person abandons a Kadosh Baruch Hu, he gets multiple levels of punishment and one of them is to have a wicked son now what if the person is a person that He's not really uh, the most religious, but he's not secular. This person can very much have a son that abandons the Torah. As the Kadosh Baruch Hu will show him that his own abandonment of the Torah is in essence abandonment of Hashem and Hashem wants him to feel. Feel, if you will, what he feels when somebody abandons him so having a son is not really the end of all problems we all want to have a child but more importantly we want to have a righteous child a healthy child both spiritually and physically the Ramban is going to tell us exactly how but not just the way but even a guarantee something that you cannot get anywhere else now over the last several lectures the Ramban has taught us the extraordinary nature of the 
holy avot, our patriarchs, where it wasn't for nothing that Akadosh Baruch Hu chose Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, who although he was born to a wicked father and mother, whether it's Terach, the Walmart of idolatry, or Amtalia, his mother, who wasn't exactly too far from that, Avram did tshuva, Avram discovered HaKadosh Baruch Hu, made endless sacrifices to show his true loyalty to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, perfected himself, perfected his mind, his soul, his body, waited for nearly a century to have a child with Sarai Menu. And all of the things that he learned throughout all of those decades, he implemented all of them in a single act. After HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him in the book of Genesis chapter 25 verse 19 that your, your wife Sarah will give birth to your son and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. Once Avraham Avinu knew that this next time that he's going to be with his wife could very well be the beginning of Am Yisrael, could very well be the continuation of his seed Kodesh, could very well be the ultimate salvation he has waited nearly a century for. And therefore he knew he can't just have a son. It's not like having a puppy where if you don't want it, you just sell it to somebody else. He wanted to bring a son to the world that was just like him, righteous, tzaddik ben tzaddik, a righteous person, son of a righteous person. And therefore, during the act of intimacy, the Ramban tells us the secret is where it says that Avraham begat Yitzchak. It means that Avraham fathered Yitzchak, where at the moment of unity between Avraham and Sarai Menu, Avraham took all of his thoughts, all of his holiness, all of his good. And put it in his mind in order for that to lead to a holy seed. All of the good traits that he's worked on, whether it be his generosity, his loyalty, his zealousness, his yirat shamayim, his fear of Hashem, his love of Hashem, his wisdom, his dedication, every little bit of good that he has learned as the Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah says that Avraham Avinu had 400 chapters to his tractate of Avodah Zarah. And to the Gemara that we have today only has a handful. So how could it be that he had so many with it? That many different levels of Avodah Zarah? No, says the Chachamim. Rather than Avraham Avinu knew the truth behind bad character traits that could literally turn into idolatry, where a person could literally serve himself. His arrogance leads him to break off very valuable relationships with his rabbi or even his wife. Her stinginess can cause her to lose our ulama ba, 
or get punished severely for the presence and the gifts and salvation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. People's bad character traits are, could very well end up becoming Avodah Her infatuation with her car or house, his infatuation with his jewelry or his business, all of these things can lead to literally becoming idolatry. Avraham Avinu took his extraordinary dedication to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah encapsulated it into a moment in order to make sure that his son Yitzchak has all of this in him. And that's why Yitzchak, when he came to the world, he was the perfect Ola. He was the perfect human being. And now, Rabotai, the Ramban tells us this was not the only time in the Torah that we see this. In fact, he continues and he says, in Megillat Ruth, the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth that is a favorite name among converts to Judaism, as everyone identifies with Ruth Moaviyah, the great-great-grandmother of David Melech, that was not only blessed to marry a complete Sadiq Boaz, but also longevity to live even past her great-grandson. She sat on the throne together next to her great-grandson, Shlomo Amelech. Ruth Moaviyah is the great-grandmother of the Mashiach. And in the book of Ruth that we read each year, there are many different lessons that we learn, whether it's about dedication to Hashem, loyalty, love of the Torah, Mesirut Nefesh, which is self-sacrifice. But very few people know this hidden bit of information that the Ramban is going to tell us today. And he says that in Megillat Ruth, in chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Now these are the generations of Peretz. Peretz sired Chetzron. Why does it say Peretz sired Chetzron? Why, what, why do I need to know this extra few words? Now we know that the books of the writings and the prophets are not like the five books of Moses where literally the five books of Moses were the hand of God himself, written 974 generations before the world came into creation, where Kadosh Bahu looked into the Torah and therefore created the world, whereas the books of the writings and the prophets were by divine revelation, they were prophecy, they were Ruach HaKodesh, so although extraordinarily holy, although they were all canonized into the 24 books of the Tanakh, they're not in the same level as the Tanakh. We paskin alacha from the Tanakh, from the uh, Chumash, from the five books of Moses, but we don't paskin alacha from Psalms or from Proverbs or from the book of Ruth. But we do use it for asmachta, which is in essence support for the law. There are endless teachings in it. So needless to say, there are no extra words even there. This is all divine revelation. This is all prophecy, Ruach HaKodesh. If it wasn't written with divine inspiration, then it wasn't canonized. This is the reason why 
the some of the uh, writings of Shlomo Melech were not canonized into the Tanakh, or Ben Sirah was not canonized. Because although they had wisdom in them, they weren't divinely inspired. The book of Ruth was. And therefore we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that there's no extra words here. Every word is carefully calculated by the Creator. And here we see an extensive description of the lineage from Peretz. Who's Peretz? Peretz was the son of Yehuda. In the book of Genesis, when Yehuda marries Tamar, they have twin children. One of them is Peretz. And from Peretz comes the Mashiach. That's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu hid the soul of the Mashiach throughout the generations by bringing him into the world from generation to generation in unconventional ways. But always from this point on through the tribe of Yehuda. No other tribe can bring the Mashiach. In the book of Ruth, tells us what happened with this Peretz. Peretz Sayed Chetzron. Why do we need to know that Peretz Sayed Chetzron? It's to inform us that because Peretz was a complete tzaddik, completely righteous man, he also focused his intentions to sire a righteous son like himself. And this is the secret of Peret Sarit Chetzron. Like we saw from his great-grandfather, Avram. Like we saw from his grandfather, Yitzchak. Like we saw from his father, Yaakov. Or from his grandfather, Yaakov, and his father, Yehuda. All of these righteous people had specific moments of truth in their life. Yehuda was admitting his guilt, even though that was embarrassing. Yaakov, literally not allowing seed to leave his body until 87 years into this world, which brought Reuven, his first son, into the world. Yitzchak, the Akedah, where when he heard that he's going to be the sacrifice, he didn't flinch, and in fact, he even told his father to tie him in a certain way, where the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that Yitzchak told his father to tie him with both of his hands and legs behind his back. And from there, we learn actually how to treat the animals at the time when a person is traveling with animals not so relevant to most people today but in order to make sure that the animal doesn't suffer but at the same token doesn't run away the Gemara says you're allowed to tie three of its legs but not all four legs like Yitzchak Avinu had his arm and legs tied together you have to allow the animal to move but not too much because then it'll run away Yitzchak 
told his father, tie my arms and legs together behind me so I won't get away. Avraham Avinu had many moments of truth. Notwithstanding the extraordinary moment of truth where he had to literally sacrifice his son, or at least he thought until Hashem told him no. But this righteousness wasn't just left there. We see that this righteousness traveled from generation to generation all the way until Peretz came into the world. And Peretz did not stop there. Peretz, Sared Chetzron, meaning that Peretz was a tzaddik. And he fathered the tzaddik. And this is the reason why the book of Ruth tells us this information. Furthermore, it says, Chetzron himself also intended to sire a righteous son as himself because he himself was also a tzaddik and this is the secret of why it says in the book of ruth chapter 4 verse 19 the very next verse chetzron sired ram and so forth generation after generation until we get and yishai sired david in chapter 4 verse 22 in the book of ruth a righteous son of a righteous father. Thus we learn that Akadosh Baruch Hu, the exalted Lord God, did not choose his servant David without good reason to just be a king of Israel. This is due to the continuous chain of ten generations of totally righteous men, complete tzaddikim, one generation after another, each one higher than the other in the image of the ten orders of the world the order of the ten sfirot the holy spheres which is a secret measure of the shiur of kuma this is a kabbalistic term delineating a complete spiritual stature for example the adam arishon his perfect stature before he sinned. And in these ten sfirot, in these ten sfirot, Rabotai, is one of the greatest secrets of the whole lineage of Mashiach, of David, and ultimately the salvation that we're all looking for. In this secret of the Sfirot, in which, in essence, these are the ten ways of Akadosh Baruch Hu, where it's Keter, Chokhmah, Bina, Dat, Chesed, Gvura, Tiferet, Netzach, Od, Yesod. These are the ten heavenly levels. Ten ways that Akadosh Baruch Hu manages the world. And these ten Sfirot were actually hidden inside David Melech's name. Now, 
if a person delves into the Torah with superficial reading, they're never going to get to even know any of this, needless to say, even the basic level of understanding of the Torah. But unfortunately, many people think that they can read the Torah like a novel of some kind. This reminds me of one of the things that Rabbi Ephraim always mentions, which is a statement in the uh, famous scientist, unfortunately a heretic, but nonetheless a scientist that was famous, Einstein, where he says that there are two things that are endless. The size of the universe and the human stupidity. And the size of the universe, it's only a possibility that it's endless. Many times people have the secret to life in front of their hands, but they waste it because they don't use this tool appropriately. And therefore the results that they get are obviously not the results they're supposed to get. Now, when somebody wants to delve into the world of Kabbalah, which is the mystical parts of the Torah, that means that they have sanctified themselves. Or at least that's the prerequisite. But when a person has not sanctified themselves, and they still don't even know what it means to sanctify yourself, whether it be modesty, holiness and morality, holiness of mind, then many times, instead of getting the desired results, they could actually get more problems. Now, these 10 generations of tzaddikim, these 10 specifically, these 10 tzaddikim, certainly knew everything that I'm telling you, and we see it from their actions because not only were they righteous, but Akadosh Baruch Hu calls them righteous. A person can think that they're righteous, but in Shemaim, Akadosh Baruch Hu is not exactly calling them righteous. And the Rambam is telling us that Akadosh Baruch Hu measured every single person in every generation and decided which one of them is going to continue carrying this extraordinary spark of the soul of the Mashiach generation after generation and it had to be someone that was a tzaddik but it couldn't be brought after one generation or two generations or three generations it had to be ten representing the ten sfirot Now, this is hidden in the name of David, which the Ramban is telling us, David really is it's in the Torah, you'll see it, it's spelled Dalit Vav Dalit, which typically would be read as Dod or Dud. But yet it's read... David, 
where the Vav has a Chirik, an E sound. As if it has also the letter Yud, where it's Dalit Vav Yud Dalit. Yud has the gimatria, numerical value of 10. In essence, this Yud is hidden within the name of David. Because David wasn't like anybody else. David was representing the 10 generations of tzaddikim. David was also one that merited to have malchut. Malchut, which is having all 10 of these sfirot. Now, David merited to have this, and he himself brought this to his son Shlomo, as it says in the book of Chronicles 1, chapter 29, verse 23, where it says, And then Shlomo sat on the throne of the Lord in the place of his father David, meaning that Shlomo continued the seed of Mashiach. So from Peretz all the way to David, there were 10 levels of tzaddikim of where there was a righteous son of a righteous father. Now, a person that just starts watching this series here perhaps is going to be a little dumbfounded is what, what how does this even lead to a secret what are you even talking about what does this even have to do with intimacy but this is why just a couple of paragraphs ago the Ramban himself told the reader whether it be the original student he wrote this for or anybody that's reading it 750 years later go back to the beginning and review everything we've said in order to understand each and every part of the things we've said and the things we didn't say, but you should understand from the things that we've said. And know that in order to get to this next chapter, in order to get to this next segment, in order to, in essence, understand the ultimate point and be able to accept the guarantee that I'm offering you, you have to know what holiness is. Where without it, none of this would be possible. Now he's already told us that as much as a person is going to say, listen, I know that modesty is very important. So I behave modestly. I dress modestly. I eat modestly. I drink modestly. I have modest ways. I even conduct business modestly. How can you do all of those things with modesty? Well, if a person dresses modestly, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a modest person. One of the examples we have in the Torah is Shlomit Badivri. Shlomit Badivri, there was in a generation 
that was in Egypt and Shlomit Badivri got raped because of her lack of modesty now we know that the lack of modesty wasn't the way she dressed because the Torah itself testifies that Am Yisrael did not change their names and she certainly didn't her name was Shlomit she still had a Jewish name did not change their language and did not change their dress they're all still dressing modestly but yet Shlomit was the one that got raped because of her lack of modest ways what lack of modest ways she was one of these women that likes to chat and have platonic relationships with the opposite gender so she said hi to all the Egyptians the Egyptian slave masters good morning mr. Egyptian don't whip me today I'll do my job how are you how are your kids with the 16 wives are you sure they're all yours how you doing good morning thank you if you ever want to have a coffee I'm available for just a chat if you need to get some things out of your off your heart unfortunately many women do this they say listen religious woman married to a husband have some kids so what if I have a male friend Shlomit had a male friend and the Torah says this is the reason why Kadosh allowed her to get raped because although she dressed modestly she covered her hair she covered her body she didn't call herself Samantha she didn't call herself Christine her name was Shlomit but yet her behavior was unholy so a person can dress modestly but still not be modest a person can eat kosher food but still be a non-kosher person specifically when it comes to food you know in the old days when someone would eat generally speaking they were very ashamed if let's say some sauce you know spilled off of their sandwich or their fork and you know maybe made a mess on their face or went all over the place today people make videos about stuff like that they eat on camera they eat in front of everybody so he's eating kosher food at the wedding at the bar mitzvah at the party at the shul but the way he eats is unkosher someone could even have lack of modesty in the way they drink instead of having a drink like the grandparents did where you simply drank with some reservation with some class takes a huge bottle of beer or something and just guzzles it down in front of people and then he lets people know how it sounds too perhaps even makes a video about it sends people a picture of it what it's a kosher wine the wine may be kosher but you're not a person that doesn't think about holiness doesn't think about these things he thinks that just because he only drinks 
kosher beverages he's allowed to go to any bar to enjoy those beverages he says listen i'm religious but what so what if i go to a bar and watch some sports with some friends where does it say in the torah that i can't do that well actually it says it in many places you're not allowed to bring yourself to places that are going to incline you to sin in fact rabotai the sefer achinuch in mitzvah 188 written about 800 years ago and also there was was paskin ta'alacha and shuchan aruch even ezer in siman 21 alacha number one also in siman 23 alacha number three and 25 one and also Arab Moshe Feinstein in Evan Ezel, the first Siman, Allah number 69, talks about how a person is forbidden to do any type of action that would lead him to improper thoughts. Where if a person knows that doing such a thing or going to a certain place will lead him to have inappropriate thoughts, he is not allowed to do such things. Now, if an improper thought enters a person's mind without him causing it, it's not a considered a sin. He has to just simply think of something else. But what if he wants to bring himself to one of these non-kosher places because it's comprised of immorality, immodesty, leitzanut, scorning, heresy, our sages in the Gemara, Maseret Baba Batra, page 57b, say that if a person has two ways to go to a place, one place is the short way, but it's comprised of bars and places of immodesty, casinos, prostitution, all types of things that are not exactly ideal for someone that wants to become holy but it's a short way it'll take him five minutes to get to where he wants to get and he says i'll close my eyes but he also has another way and the other way it's as clear as a desert but it's going to take an hour to get to where he needs to get to he doesn't need to close his eyes there's nothing to see but he's going to waste an hour the Gemara says if he takes the shorter way, even if he closes his eyes the whole way, doesn't look at one immodest girl, doesn't look at one inappropriate thing. In Shemaim, the Bed Dean of Heaven, judges and paskins on this person for that particular act, Rashahu, he is wicked. Who are you to take risks with the holy Neshama that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into you? Now, if he doesn't have another way, there's only one path, and he must get from point A to point B, then certainly he will be allowed. Obviously, he has to protect his eyes. This is unfortunately very common in the world today, especially in major cities like New York, San Francisco, Tel Aviv, and unfortunately many other places where you cannot avoid immodesty. You need to go from point A to point B for work, for meetings, for whatever you need. But if you have another choice, you must take that choice 
or else holiness will become your enemy instead of your friend. Now, a person is never allowed to put himself at any type of risk of his neshama. Where Rav Vosnil, in uh, the response of Ayan David, is quoted in Siman 6, Alechan number 15, the one who positions himself in such challenges where he loiters at a place that is usually comprised of immodestly dressed women is called a rasha. He's a wicked person. If you know that there's going to be immodest women in this place and you go, when you don't have to, you should know, despite what your mother says about you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says you're Rasha. And Kedusha is not going to be your friend. Now a person that also wants Kedusha wants to be surrounded by holy things. So in order to do that, they have to consider what they have in their life. With the Sefer HaChinuch in Mitzvah 429 and also the Ramah in Shuchan Aruch Or Chaim Siman 90, Alachan number 23 and Arav Elchanan Vassaman in Kovetz Ma'amarim on page 27 as well as the Taz and the Gaon Mivilna as well as the Mishnah Bura all conclude that one that possesses any material or images that contain idolatry or heretical ideas, whether it be books, magazines, catalogs, anything that has immorality in it, where one that sees it could be brought to thoughts of heresy, idolatry, immorality, even if you don't look at those books, even if you don't look at the magazines, if it's in your possession, even if you don't look at the pictures, you're violating the Torah. You're violating the mitzvah that's mentioned in Sefer Dvarim, chapter 7, verse 26. Lo tavit betecha. Do not bring an abomination into your home. If you have an abomination, in your house, don't expect Kedusha to be there too. Now one that watches videos of heretics is going to be led to think of heresy and ask heretical questions. Those heretical questions don't make themselves up. And therefore a person needs to know that Sefer Vaikra, chapter 19, verse number 4. The Gemara in Maseret Brachot, page 12b says, that you shall not turn after your hearts and your eyes. Is also referring to the prohibition of thinking thoughts of heresy. And included in this prohibition is one that directs his mind to thoughts that are 
contrary to Da'at Torah, that could even lead one to heretical thoughts, as the Sefer HaChinuch in Mitzvah 387 says. So here we see that one could easily use everything I just said and sanctify his life tonight by removing all of these dangers. Dangerous thoughts, dangerous books, magazines, whatever dangers is relevant to what we just said. Or they could just simply discount all of it and say, ah, come on, fanatic. But if one wants to achieve holiness, they have to take all of this into serious consideration and start demolitioning, demolishing these things from their homes, their offices, their businesses. Modesty in drinking, eating, dressing, is all good. But modesty is also required in business. If a person deals with inappropriate people on a regular basis, don't be surprised if he becomes one of them. And the sages were very critical about people that give compliments to people that don't deserve them or haven't earned them. As the Gemara in Maseret Brachot, page 62, gives an example where one of the people of the generation died and there was uh, someone invited, like a speaker, invited to give an esped. And Rav Nachman was there. Rav Nachman was a giant chacham, tzaddik, kadosh, And as soon as this person, this speaker, started speaking, he started complimenting the person that died. He said he was good, he was generous, he was kind, he was uh, smart. And then he said he was tsanua, he was modest. And right away, Rav Nachman stopped. Hey, 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 stop, stop. Everyone was surprised. Stopped the hesped, the guy's there, dead, say something about him. Rav Nachman said, how do you know he was Tzanua? Were you in the bathroom with him? Do you know how he behaves behind closed doors? No. So why are you saying Tzanua? Why are you saying he's modest? Don't you know it's not allowed to lie about somebody after he dies, to make it seem like he was more righteous than he was, without actual knowledge? Because then you'll get punished, and he will get punished. That people are lying about him. Now if you think this is just a story, this is the Psak Halacha. With the Shukhan Aruch in Yorei Deha, chapter 344. First Halacha. Meaning that you can't just think that you could lie your way into righteousness or that people are going to speak about your righteousness and that's going to be to your credit. 
If you're Kadosh, that means that a Kadosh Baruch Hu himself testified Kadosh. He is Tzadik. She is Tzadikah. If not, doesn't matter who lies about you. Eventually, your shame will be exposed. Now, with all of this being said, I mean, you think, wait, so if, I'm, if I eat more modestly, if I drink more modestly, if uh, I uh, do business more modestly, I'm not one of these arrogant people flashing my money around, that means I'm going to have a holy son? Not quite. In fact, the world around you that sees you with better mannerisms at best case scenario, we'll say, wow, he has really good manners. Look at how he eats. Look at how she drinks. Look how reserved they are. Look how great their manners are. That's the best case scenario. But, Rabotai Karim, Rabotai Karim, says the Ramban, as modest as you are, in the bathroom, in your, uh, during your lunch, during the time that you're drinking and eating, during the time that you are conducting business and communicating with people, as much as you're modest over there, know that modesty during the time of intimacy is even more important and is even higher level of modesty. Not so much so that you become a closed door and your wife or husband doesn't even know if you exist. But modesty in the time of intimacy is absolutely required. How does this translate into behavior? We'll put it this way. Some time ago, maybe six, seven years ago, a report came out in the news scared a lot of people they said that there was some hotels in Eretz Israel that had some hidden cameras in the rooms now of course some of the guests were religious Jews they were very concerned about this oh what's gonna be maybe they're gonna publicize these pictures these videos it was an outcry someone came to Rav Ephraim my own dear Rav and said Rav, what do you think of this and Rav Ephraim says well I also went to hotels sometimes for Shabbat sometimes for holidays different events and I'm not worried even the hotels they're talking about that were found with the cameras, I'm still not worried. Do you know why I'm not worried? And the person that asked said, no, I don't know. He says, because anyone that follows the Torah and sanctifies himself doesn't have to worry about being caught immodest. Because even at the moment of the most immodest 
moment, which is the moment of intimacy, there is still a highest level of modesty where no camera would even know what's under the sheets because whatever you're doing, you're covered. The two, the the husband and the wife, are of course not covered under the sheets. But they are two are covered by the sheets. Why? Because modesty means not just modesty outside when you go to the supermarket or you go to work. Modesty is also at the moment of unity. And if someone follows the Torah, it doesn't matter if there's a hundred cameras there. It won't make a difference. It won't make a difference in the bathroom. It won't make a difference in the bedroom. Another example of this would be where one time someone told me that they were very concerned because they got an email from some hacker and the hacker told them in this long letter I saw that they have hacked into their computer and they have caught them doing inappropriate things and if they don't send them some exorbitant amount of money in bitcoins they're going to expose these pictures and videos that they have and there's no way that you can undo it because they already have control of your computer of your phone of your whatever you have and it's connected to electronics and if you try to call the authorities they're going to publicize it and it'll be irreparable damage just make sure that you send this money to this particular bitcoin account and i won't expose you now the rabbi or the the person said what do i do i told them uh well it depends she says well what would you do i said what would i do what do you mean if that happened to me he said yeah i said i would just delete the message and just go on to the next one said, what do you mean well, what if it exposes i said if it's a pictures of me he said yeah i said let him record 24 hours a day he's never gonna catch me with doing anything inappropriate so he could have the camera now he could have it after he could have it in the morning he could have it at night I'm trying to be Kadosh. I'm not worried about what, what he's finding anything. He's not going to find anything. There's nothing to find. I'm not doing anything that I'm afraid the world will ever see. So go ahead. If you want, I'll send you an email to give you access. If that makes you feel good and maybe it's going to help you do tshuva. You on the other hand, I don't know what you do. So if you are following the shuim. You're protecting your bleach, you're protecting your eyes, you're trying to be Kadosh. Then you could be just like me, and I could be just like you, and both of us are not worried about this email. But if you're ignoring the Shulim and you just tell me, listen, Rabbi, I love you, but you don't actually follow anything that the Rabbi is saying, then I'm sorry to tell you, my dear friend, you are in deep, deep trouble. You are in deep trouble. Why? Who knows what he has except you? 
You know what you has. Why? You're the one that did it. Perhaps he didn't expect that answer because he thought maybe everybody can get caught doing something inappropriate. And he's right that anybody can be caught doing something inappropriate if they don't follow the Torah to become Kadosh. But if a person wants to be Kadosh, it's not about what people say. It's about what a Kadosh Baruch Hu says. So if you are modest in your ways of eating and drinking and business and your mannerisms, the best case scenario, people are going to say, wow, such a class act. Look how good his manners are. But if you are modest in your behavior and you sanctify yourself, you protect your breath, you protect your eyes, then Akadosh Baruch Hu himself will say, look at my dear son, look at my dear daughter, Tzaddik, Tzaddika, they are the holy nation. And guess what? That's a lot more valuable than what anybody in the world would say because that's a Kadosh Baruch Hu. And if he says it, you know it's true. To bring a holy neshama like Yitzchak Avinu into the world is not just sending him to the right school and giving him a good education, perhaps even not spoiling him. No. If you want to bring a holy neshama of a righteous kid into the world, the preparation says Avraham Avinu starts before the kid comes into the world. You have to start by sanctifying yourself. Now, if the kid is already here, then obviously the education, the chinuch, it all is applicable. But if you're still trying to bring kids into the world, prepare now before the kid arrives. Sanctify yourself before the kid arrives. Because the Shulchan Aruch says in Evan Ha'ezel, in Siman 25, Alachan number 12, you're not supposed to use your intimate act as just simply a relief, like some animal. You're not allowed to have intimacy just for the sake of, let me just get some relief. You're not a a horse, a sus. You can't just be a light-minded animal. In fact, the Shulchan Aruch says in Or Chaim, in Siman 240, Alachan number 8, that when one is intimate, they must have the awe of heaven. The awe of heaven, Rabotai. The awe of heaven from his majesty, the awe of heaven from, from simply punishment, both. Now, of course, everyone in their level, if you're at the lowest level, at the very least, acknowledge the fact that Akadosh Baruch Hu is watching. Don't act like an animal. Don't treat your wife or husband like some piece of meat. Try to elevate yourself. Even if you can't be like Avraham Avinu. Do you know why? Because if Avraham Avinu did not prepare before the act of unity, 
if Sarai Menu did not prepare before the act of unity, then Yitzchak would have never come to the world. We wouldn't have Akedat Yitzchak. We wouldn't have our forefathers or even our nation. When a person is mindless about different aspects of the Torah, they don't realize how far this gets. It's a domino effect. In fact, when the Ramban is telling us the modesty is at the highest level is during intimacy, he's not just saying it's just intimacy. It's everywhere. Why everywhere? Because we have a rule. And the rule is best explained by the Chinuch. Rabbi Aaron Alevi, about 800 years ago. Now he mentions this rule many times in Sefer HaChinuch. In one of the places is in Mitzvah number 15. Or 16, I should say. In Mitzvah number 16, which is in regards to Korban Pesach. Now you would think, what does Korban Pesach have to do with modesty? What does Korban Pesach have to do with anything we're talking about? Well, anyone that has learned Torah for long enough, or at the very least has learned with us for some time, knows that everything is connected. The Torah is the central nervous system to all of creation. Everything is connected. Just like your nervous system is connected to every part of your body, the Torah is connected to everything. In Sefer HaChinuch, he writes as follows. After telling us about the mitzvah, of not breaking a bone of the Korban Pesach. And this is in commemoration of HaKadosh Baruch Hu taking us out of Egypt. He says as follows, Do not think, my son, to challenge my words and say, what purpose is there in Hashem, blessed be He, commanding us to perform all of these mitzvot as a remembrance of the miracle of the Exodus? Why would one remembrance alone, the matter of the miraculous exodus can be brought to our attention so that it's not forgotten from our offspring? For it's not out of wisdom that you would challenge me on this. Rather, it's a childish thinking that would influence you to speak in such a manner. In essence, he's saying, why does Hashem constantly tell us that Everything is a reminder of the Exodus. Just tell us one time, you won't forget it. The Chinuch says, if you have that kind of an attitude, will you think there's maybe an unnecessary mitzvah, an unnecessary act in Judaism? Spiritually speaking, you're a child. Why? My son, if you have an understanding, listen to this, and incline your ear and hear this, and I will instruct you for your benefit in Torah and Mitzvot. Know it to be true that a man is affected in accordance with his actions, 
and his heart and thoughts constantly follow the deeds in which he is occupied, whether good or evil, to such an extent where even if someone who is entirely wicked, Rasha, where every product of his thoughts, of his heart, is always evil, if it would happen that his soul would be aroused and he would start to place his efforts and activity in the study of Torah and doing mitzvot. Until now, everything he thought of, not just did, everything he thought of was horrible, evil. But now he says, you know what? Let me give this Torah thing a try. From now on, I'm going to learn Torah and I'm going to do mitzvot. But not for the sake of heaven. I'm just going to do it like a robot. Even if not for the sake of heaven. But he follows the Torah. He learns. And he does everything that it says. The result would be that he would immediately turn towards the good path. And if he would continue on this path. Through the strength of his deeds. He would eventually destroy the evil inclination. That's within himself. This is because of that rule that the hearts of men are drawn after their actions. On the other hand, if a person is entirely righteous and his heart is straight and perfect, he loves the Torah and the mitzvot. Even if such a person could be led astray by the way of negative actions, if he were to constantly engage in false conduct, he keeps Shabbat, but he goes to the bars with his friends to watch the Super Bowl. He keeps kosher, but he likes to hang out around the poker club to watch his friends gamble. He learns Torah, but he gets involved in a business of lending money with interest. If he were constantly engaged in false conduct, even if he went to yeshiva his whole life, even if he learns to lie every day, even if he keeps the mitzvot, if he were constantly engaged in a false conduct, you may say by way of example that the king coerced him and appointed him to a wicked trade. And then the truth is that in all of his acti- if his, all of his activity constantly and all day was in that trade, over time, he would eventually retreat from his righteous ways of his heart and become an entirely wicked individual. For the matter is known and true that every man is affected in accordance with his actions. Meaning that, although in the beginning, he's keeping Torah mitzvot, but he goes to the bar, he watches the Super Bowl, he goes and he hangs out at the poker club, he gets involved in these businesses. says, listen, I need to make money. Guaranteed over time he becomes a rasha. Why? In the beginning he'll say, listen, I'm just doing it for money. Listen, I'm just doing it with prayer pressure. Listen, I'm just doing it. Uh, I'm just keeping him company. He can say, listen, I, I, I'm not going to fall. Eventually he goes there by himself. Eventually he watches the sports by himself. Eventually he plays poker by himself. Eventually he's the one that's doing awful deals. Why? His actions will ultimately change his heart. And this is the secret, says the Chinuch, 
behind what the sages have taught us in the Gemara and Maseret Makot, page 23b, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu desired to give us to confer merit upon Am Yisrael, and He gave us the Torah and mitzvot in abundance. Why did He give us so many mitzvot? Why did He give us such a big Torah? So as to preoccupy all of our thoughts through the mitzvot, and that all of our activities should be focused on fulfilling the mitzvot, in order to bestow goodness upon us in our ultimate end. For through the good action in which we engage, we are affected to become good, and we thereby merit an eternal life. In so many words, the reason why the sages say that I Jew that has a tzitzit, a mezuzah, and tefillin will not come to sin. In those days, people would wear tefillin all day. Why? Because if you're constantly occupied with mitzvot, you're not going to fall into the traps of the satan. But if you allow yourself to go to these places, allow yourself to befriend these people, allow yourself to act in these ways that are forbidden, it's only a matter of time before you become one of the wicked people even if you start off ultra-righteous. So therefore, Rabotai Karim, the Ramban is warning us about all of these things. Why is he warning us all of these things? Because he says, you can achieve holiness by first cleaning house, cleaning your actions. You clean your actions, ultimately you'll end up being able to clean your mind. You clean your actions, ultimately you'll be able to understand and remember the Torah that you're learning. You clean your actions, you'll be able to replace them with good actions. Now what happens when you replace them with good actions? Says the Ramban, the ultimate message to anyone alive today and wants to bring a child to the world and not just any child but a righteous child examine well the secrets of which we've incorporated into these chapters and if you will go on the path which i have made you aware of i will guarantee you that you will sire a tzaddik son who will sanctify a Kadosh Baruch Hu's name. May God in His mercy open our eyes and yours to the light of His Torah and enable us to achieve the secrets of His Torah and bring into this world sons prepared to revere Him and serve Him. May it be His will and we shall say Amen. Here the Ramban tells us the ultimate message, the ultimate guarantee. Many people are familiar with the guarantee of the Rambam. The Rambam, Maimonides, in Ilchot Deot, in chapter 4, Allah number 20, he says that if you follow his recipe for good health, you'll have longevity, you'll have good health, you'll never get sick. But few among us are familiar with the, with the guarantee of the Chacham, the Dayan, the Kabbalist, the Ramban Akadosh, Nachmanides. Here the Ramban gives us a, a guarantee in the name of a Torah that if you follow the teachings of this book 
if you follow the teachings of this series and you sanctify yourself, you're guaranteed to have a righteous son that will sanctify a Kadosh Baruch name. Is anyone out there foolish enough to ignore this guarantee? Is anyone out there not inspired to change their life today? Is anyone out there discrediting this in any way, shape, or form? Who among us has such big shoulders to discredit such a big guarantee? Our sages don't throw guarantees around. Hence the reason people are only familiar with one guarantee of the Rambam. But if somebody has learned this along with us over the last year and a half, and little by little has sanctified themselves, sanctified their behavior. And whatever they haven't, they were reminded of today. Modesty in the behavior leads to sanctity. Being reserved in the way we eat, communicate, drink, go to the bathroom will ultimately help you being reserved and modest and holy in the act of intimacy. But the ultimate reward of achieving holiness and intimacy is that it no longer matters what the doctors say, what the scientists say, what human nature says, what statistics say, what the birth certificate says, it no longer matters. Why? The Ramban says, I have enough knowledge of not only this information, but what it leads to. It has led to Avraham bringing Yitzchak. It has led Yitzchak bringing Yaakov. It led... Yaakov bringing the 12 tribes, all 12 tzaddikim. It led to Peretz bringing Chetzron. It led to Chetzron bringing Ram. All the way to Boaz, eventually to Ishai, who's one of the four people that the Gemara says that never sinned even once in his life who fathered David Amelech, who fathered Shlomo Amelech. And from them comes the pure neshama of the Mashiach. You too can do this. You too can follow in the footsteps of the tzaddikim. Now of course, with every extraordinary discovery, there must be a test. And anyone that knows the history of the Ramban knows that one of the Ramban's children not only fell off the derech, but converted to Christianity. Now before you lose your mind, hear the story behind the Ramban himself. having a son that went to Christianity. The Sefer Kava Yashar describes this extraordinary story 
of the Ramban himself when he found that his son not only left Judaism but went to Christianity, the very same religion that the Ramban sacrificed his life to fight against with the debate in Barcelona. But when his son left, when his son abandoned, the Ramban cried hysterically, not over his son, as much as he cried over the fact that he thought that this would mean that his Torah teachings were false. That what he wrote here is a mistake. Because he knows that when he was with his wife, he was Kadosh. He is the one that wrote this. How could it be that his own son would do this? When his righteous wife saw the Ramban cry, and she asked him why, and he told her, I don't understand where I made the mistake. How could it be? I studied my whole life. I dedicated my whole life to the Torah. How could it be that I wrote false words? She said, my dear husband, look at this. She held a little pouch in her hand. Ramban says, what is that? She says, this is a story for you. She said, years ago, I went to the mikveh on the night that I was pure. But after the mikveh, I was attacked by some goy general and he raped me. He raped me and from there came that son that just left. Meaning that it's not your son. That son came from the Goy, idol worshiper, filth that raped me. And the proof of that is because while he was doing his animalistic act and I was defending myself, I bit his thumb off and I kept it. I kept his thumb. And his thumb is in this pouch. And she shows the pouch which the Ramban opens and sees a human thumb that is obviously aged. And she says, if you want to confirm the story, you can. He is the main general leading the king's army. And you will notice that he wears a glove on one of his hands to hide the missing thumb. The, the Ramban had connections to the king. And one day when the king himself found out about the Ramban's son abandoning Judaism and going to Christianity, he asked the Ramban, what do you think of it? And the Ramban told him the story. And he says, if you'd like to prove it, your highness, you can. You have a general. He's your main general. Go ask him why he wears a glove 
And when he takes off his glove and shows you that he's missing a thumb, ask him to tell you why he's missing a thumb. And the king, of course, fascinated by the story no less than you are, calls his general, who is close by, and asks him, why do you wear a glove on only one hand? And the general says it's because, and he takes off the glove and he shows that he's missing a thumb. He says, because I'm missing this thumb. Why are you missing this thumb? It's because because a long time ago, I raped some Jewish woman and she bit my thumb off. The king was so fascinated that he knew that every word that the Ramban said was 100% true, not just during that conversation, but even in the Torah itself. That boy that abandoned Judaism didn't come from a holy seed of the Ramban. It came from a filth of some idolater, hence the reason of why that happened. But you, my dear viewers, friends, students, or whatever you want to call yourself, you have the opportunity to sanctify yourself. The women can sanctify themselves and the men can sanctify themselves, each in their corresponding behaviors and, and possibilities. You can sanctify yourself in every aspect of your life. Not allowing your eyes to travel wherever the Satan wants them to. Not allowing your hands to touch whatever they desire to. Not allowing your body to be public property. And not treating yourself like you're some cow that can walk around naked without anything to consider. You can sanctify yourself in the way that you behave above and beyond just the mitzvot that you're already used to, that you already have accustomed yourself to. You can sanctify yourself in the way you eat and not just what you eat. You can sanctify yourself in the way you drink and not just what you drink. You can sanctify yourself in the places you go to but also the places you don't go to, the people you talk to and the people you don't the people you deal with, and the people you don't. You could literally sanctify yourself in every aspect of your life. And as much as you do there, do even more in the most holy act that you have in your life, which is the act of intimacy between you and your spouse. If you can clear your minds during the day, you could certainly clear your minds of filth at night. Your minds can be full of holiness. Your minds can be solely focused on your spouse, on the love and appreciation and even the holiness of your spouse and what you're doing there. And not some careless, mindless, instinctive act. The reward for all of this is not only an extraordinary life of Kedusha, but also something that you could literally call a miracle. Whether it's open or not is whether you'll tell everybody about it after it happens. I recommend you tell everybody after it happens. 
Because when you sanctify Kadosh Baruch name, he tends to give you another miracle. See, see, Rabotai, all of these so-called fanatic teachings are the key to the ultimate blessings. They're not easy, not to hear, not to do. But the Ramban gives us an extraordinary amount of hope and encouragement by telling us this is not a recommendation, a suggestion, and hopefully things work out. If you do this, I and Shemaim will vouch for you to make sure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes one of the special neshamot in a place called Guf in Shemaim and puts it together with your seed and her egg and bring a holy child to the world. This Rabotai is as good as it gets. It doesn't cost anything other than your time, effort, and complete dedication to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now this series has been revolutionary. Not just for us, but really for the world of Torah. There is no series like it, even though this book has been in print for nearly 800 years. The world around us is ashamed of talking about Jewish intimacy, what it really is and how holy it is, but is not ashamed about talking about perversions and immorality when the two really should be the opposite. Part of the tikkun of this generation is the tikkun of morality. The more of you that take this to heart, the more we can enlighten the world with more holiness and more opportunities to sanctify Kadosh Baruch Hu's name. Until this time, we didn't really know how powerful this series would be. But when you see message after message from people that even just took on bits and pieces of what they've learned thus far, but they're really trying hard. And already what blessings they're getting. Already what amazing changes they're seeing. You're truly seeing literally a Kadosh Bahu's hand in this world, involved with every single person's life if he wants to sanctify himself, if she wants to sanctify herself. This Rabotai should encourage every single man to get married sooner rather than later, simply to have an opportunity to sanctify himself. This should encourage every woman that's not married to get married sooner rather than later just to sanctify themselves. If you're not married, it's because of you, not because of others. Less picky, less demanding. Pray to Hashem. Do what you need to do in order to make you a good vessel. And certainly HaKadosh Baruch Hu will provide Many times people tell me, listen, I've been looking for someone for a long time. 
But then when you find out some more details, you realize, yeah, of course you didn't find anybody because anyone that found you ran away from you. The way that you behave, the way that you act, the way that you demand, why would anybody want to marry you? If a person starts thinking of things from the perspective of the Ramban, which is marriage is not for the sake of just having somebody to sleep next to. Marriage is not just for the sake of sharing bills. Marriage is not just for the sake of having a bunch of children running around. Marriage is an opportunity to reach the highest level of sanctity in servitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Marriage is an opportunity to make yourself holy. Marriage is an opportunity of all opportunities. If a person starts to look at things from that perspective, they start changing things. And even if you haven't found anybody yet, you could already start with sanctifying yourself today. In the new edition of the right translation of the Igeret HaKodesh, Rav Yaakov Bar Nachman also added a special prayer that the Ramban wrote that a couple should pray before their act of intimacy. It's highly recommended. He wrote it both in the original Hebrew as well as in translation to English. And this Rabotai is what we'll finish off the series with. So you'd know, so you'd see, so you'd have these tools available to you. We've learned from the Ramban over the last year and a half, but really we've already been learning from him for many years with other places, with other series, the Igerita Ramban, times that we learned about the afterlife. The Ramban has been our rabbi for many years. But now the Ramban has given us a tool of all tools. And if that wasn't enough, he even gave us a special prayer that you're not going to find in your average sidu. A prayer that's going to help you. Not just say something before you're intimate. Not just get your mind together beyond the instinct. But in fact, this prayer is truly a reminder of everything we spoke about in this series. Where the Ramban talks about all the things that we talked about. Sanctifying your souls, sanctifying your thoughts, your feelings, your mind. Clothing yourself with a good spirit, good intentions. All the different things we talked about for the last year and a half you put in this prayer. I'll read this prayer for you once, but I highly recommend that you buy the book. You can get it from uh, Amazon. You can get it from uh, Ben Israel website. He told me that he's carrying it. And I believe there's a few others that are carrying this book, but it's a fantastic translation if you don't have it already. This is the picture of it. It also has other things that Rabbi Yaakov Bar Nachman included, including the translation of the debate that the Ramban had against Christianity in Barcelona, as well as some other prayers of the Ramban, pictures of the uh, 
place that he lived, the shul. But honestly, if it was just for the Igeret HaKodesh, it would be enough. It was for the Igeret HaKodesh and this prayer, it's even more than enough. Everything else is extra credit. But more than anything else, it's not just getting this book and just putting it on the shelf, telling people you own it. It's living. Living this prayer. And the Ramban says as follows, May it be your will, creator of all the worlds, righteous in all generations, for the sake of your great name that emerges from the verse, Hashem has been mindful of us, He will bless. That you give me holy seed, desirable and decent, good and beautiful, correct and accepted, and worthy of living and existing without iniquity and guilt. And bless me with your name and bless my house with sons, and I will know peace in my abode. And draw through my seed and all the wellsprings of Israel, and purify my body and sanctify my soul and my thoughts and my intellect and my mind and the rest of my feelings, such that I will be strong and strive and clothe myself in your pure good spirit and benevolent in the intentions of my supplication, so that I will complete your will and you will complete my seed, such that it will be built and live and be designed and do with the truth with truth and honesty and will continue with you and stand in the place of his success and prepare all my pleasures in order to complete and maintain and make it tasteful with grace and with grace and with strength with health and with courage and strength and strength with valor and have mercy upon him in making him and fabricating his tissue and shaping him in his dressing and good presentation in the constitution of his being in whatever he does and produces in his soul and his spirit in his higher essence soul in his innermost being and his appearance and there shall not be in him nor in it any of his limbs any harm nor deficiency nor injury nor incident nor disease nor sickness nor pain nor sorrow nor injury nor malady he should never be sick nor infirm and he will not he will lack no good all the days of his life and bless me and my house and my seed in everything that completes our mind and our intellect and our feelings to do all deeds for your will and bless us with the blessings of heaven above the blessings of the depth that dwell below and with your blessings the house of your servant will be blessed forever amen eternal master Selah. this is what a husband and a wife should read to awaken their heart and purify their souls before the act of intimacy and the students of the Arizal also recommended to read Psalm number 23. In addition to that, but since that's readily available to all of you, you can read it on your own. I truly wish that this series has affected you as much as it affected me. Because it teaches us how holy our Torah is, how clear HaKadosh Baruch Hu's instructions are, and truly, how extraordinary the reward is in this world and the next.
May each and every single one of you have the strength and the wherewithal and wisdom to take all of this to heart and apply it, sanctify yourselves, and return to Hashem, your Creator. Thank you very much for learning with me. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless all of us and all of Am Yisrael with a Zerah Kodesh to be able to bring holy children to the world that will sanctify His name each day of their life. We'll learn together tomorrow. asked him what can we do to protect ourselves from Chavrei Mashiach. He says, Torah and Gminut Chasadim. Even if somebody does a, a nice thing or learns a lot or anything like that, it's never compared to bringing one of Hashem's lost kids that's been lost for the last 3,000 years back home. One of the beautiful things that we have in our organization is that we have both Torah and Zikri Rabi because we have our Kolels, we have our Avrachim, and we also have our Kiruv that we do around the world. Our lectures reach every corner of the world, Baruch Hashem, in multiple languages, but of course, we always want to do even more. while we have Kiruv work that we've done throughout the whole year, we also have the Torah that we're constantly producing more and more of, and last but not least, the uh, Chesed to feed the poor people in Israel. A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real about this land by taking the time out of their busy schedule and sharing their ups and downs with us, all for the sake of our Israel. Irgun Be'ezrat Hashem, Olech Lechalek, Me'ot Saleh Mazon, 
בכל רחבי הארץ. One of the big things that we have, aside from this campaign, you probably see this post or something similar to it, is also we published some of the recent results that we have, or at least up to now, of the organization. And one of the reasons why we do this each year is because we want to make sure that our partners, our donors, our Talmidin, know where their money is going. Unlike everybody else that, you know, uh, says a lot, does a lot, we want to show you what these results are. I can tell you from my experience and a little bit of knowledge about the whole Torah world, I don't know of anybody else, uh, any other organization on planet Earth that produces dollar for dollar what we produce over these last few years. This is nothing to be arrogant about. It's simply Siyat Bishmaya HaKadosh Baruch who helped us. We made every sacrifice that we can possibly make in order to, ha- to make it happen. Producing nearly 300 films, publishing 32 books, our own books, giving out 154,000 books for free. Giving out 154,000 books is not a cheap endeavor. Anyone that wants to do such a thing has to be completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to his children, and most importantly, to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah. We also have fed over 160,000 people over these last several years. Each year during Pesach, the high holidays, throughout the year, we help a lot of people eat, help make sure that they have groceries, food, all types of things. And uh, you guys have seen many of the videos that are uh, that we've produced over the years to actually show you the people that are getting this food. You have here 160,000 people have eaten, nearly 300 Torah films. And then on top of all of it, we have 1.4 million USB CDs and cards that have been given out for free. All of the work that we've done over the last 10 years on these USBs given out for free. Last but not least, 12,000 video and audio lectures available online in about 14 different languages for the world to watch for free. ארגון בעזרת השם לקח על עצמו את אחת המטרות הקשות ביותר בדור שלנו. לתקן עולם במלכות שדי. לא להסתפק במשהו אחד, לעזור רק לאנשים מסכנים, רק לאנשים ניצולי שואה, רק לאנשים שלא מכירים את אלוקים, רק לאנשים שאין להם כלום בבית, אלא לעזור לכלל ישראל בכל מכל כל. וברוך השם, חפץ השם בידינו הצליח למעלה ממיליון יהודים ויהודיות נעזרו על ידי ארגון בעזרת השם. רק תדמיינו לכם איזה עוצמה היה לכל אחד ואחת מהשותפים שזכו להיות כל אחד כפי כוחו ויכולתו, לאיזה תוצאות הצליחו להגיע ולאיזה תוצאות עוד יצליחו. פורים שמח על לראות את השלטים, נעלה עכשיו למעלה, כמו הקצת, את האש, את הלימוד. ברוכים הבאים, אפשר לראות כאן. כולם יושבים לומדים, איזה רעש של תורה, איזה רעש, איזה רעש, הנה יש פה עוד בית מדרש, וגם פה יש, השם הכל עמוס. דמיון הזה הוא לא דמיון כל כך רחוק, כי כמו שהתורה אומרת, בפיך ובלבבך לעשותו, ככה גם בדבר הזה. כל מי שירצה, כל מי שרוצה או רוצה להיות שותפים איתנו, עם הארגון הקדוש והנפלא הזה, שכל כוונתו לשם שמיים, להגדיל תורה ולהאדירה, להרים קרן התורה, לעזור לכל אחד ואחד מעם ישראל, בכל העניינים. כל המישורים, מהילד הכי קטן שצריך מטרנה וטיטולים עד האיש הכי 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 מבוגר 
שלעולם לא הניח תפילין, ורגע לפני המוות דואגים להניח לו תפילין. אם גם אתם רוצים להיות שותפים בכאלה דברים גדולים, בעשייה של תורה ועבודה וגמילות חסדים, ברוך השם, ארגון בעזרת השם, כאן, לצדכם, לשירותכם, יחד עם כלל ישראל. כמעט מיליון וחצי דיסקים, דיסקונקים, שחילקנו, כל הדברים האלה בחינם, יותר מ-12 אלף שיעורים, אז כל הדברים האלה, מתי שבן אדם רואה כמה ההשקעה שלו, אם זה בבתים, מניות, בכל מיני דברים, והוא רואה שהמניה עלתה 10% במקום אחד, ו-1,000% במקום שני, אז הוא מבין איפה להשקיע פעם הבאה. ואותו דבר פה, יש הרבה אנשים שברוך השם צופים את השיעורים שלנו, שיעורים של הרב אפרים, שיעורים של הרב שרביט, ושאר הרבנים והארגון, ועכשיו זה הזמן להיות שותפים בדבר הגדול שאנחנו עושים ברוך השם. an indication of what we can do in the future. So this is the time where we need as much of your help as possible to push yourself more than you typically do. If you typically donate a couple hundred dollars, donate a thousand. If you, uh, if you could afford uh, the uh, uh, $8,000, $15,000, $50,000, whatever you could afford, this is the time to do it because this is going to be the help that we have to help all of these Avachim, to feed these people and perhaps Bezal Hashem one day to get that building that we've been uh, wanting to, uh, to build here in, uh, in the United States to build a community. But the, all of these things require millions of dollars. If not now, then when?